Welcome back to Wandering Into Wellness, Lydia and Finn, as usual. I feel like I've never done that. I've never said Lydia and Finn. Yeah, no, those said, are my words. I said are. Finn and Lydia, and as usual. There we go. Okay. Anyway, here we it's are. such a great as intro. Usual. <laughs> so good. I copied you. Um, here we are, as usual. And today we are joined by a very special guest, um, one of my original yoga teachers from many moons ago, Tanya Fitzpatrick. And she is a somatics and biomechanics educator. She's the founder of Alliance Somatics, and she is joining us from Bali, beautiful Bali. So there may be some sound and picture glitches, just but I think we can put up with that for the joy of having someone talk to us from Bali. Probably. Exactly. Yeah, it feels like we're jetting off like genuinely to tropical climes. And no better place to discuss the discipline of yoga, right? Because I mean, like it, it feels like Bali's the heart and home of yoga, certainly from what I see online anyway. Everybody of, of anybody who's practicing yoga, who's teaching it, is is right where you are. You're at the epicenter. Yeah. Very, very much so. And it's a, it's a very interesting dichotomy of what I see, what has been taught as modern day yoga. And then also there are teachers, a couple of my teachers uh, who have been teaching yoga for over 40 years and the difference in what they're teaching to the difference what I'm seeing younger teachers teaching are literally two so I sit somewhere in the middle of that, being 22 mm. years a yoga teacher. So um, I, I feel that I have a few things to say on, on the matter of modern day yoga. <laughs> yeah, yes. I think so. Mm. for me, like I've been wanting to do a kind of a yoga podcast for a while, obviously being a yoga teacher and so many people are asking, why aren't we doing more yoga podcasts on this? Um, but I guess I, I've kind of shied away from wanting to just talk to teachers about like, wow, isn't yoga so great? Because mm. I feel like you, that there is this sort of uncomfortable underbelly in the mm. yoga scene at the moment and what I'm seeing in classes and how it's being teacher trained and how it's being portrayed on the internet and I think really we wanted to talk to you about the idea of what is yoga and what is yoga not <laughs> and just trying to drill down into those things and why it's important to talk into this subject and for teachers to understand this because I think there are inclusivity issues and there also are safety issues and then there's just ethics issues as well that are going on here so I guess we'd really like to chat to you about your understanding of like what is yoga yeah I I think before I I start I want to be very very clear on saying what I uh what I'm about to voice is from my experience of being on the mat in many different yoga centers around the world for the past 22 years. So that's first and foremost, it's my experience. I am not saying what I say is right. I'm saying this is an opinion and it's opinion that is gleaned from many other teachers and sitting and listening to discourses about yoga, doing thousands of hours of teacher training. I also train teachers, as you mentioned, and I believe that none of my students has ever been injured. And I believe that they have never injured any of their students because mm -hmm. uh, I think as, as, as I start this, there is a few things that I, I would like to voice on what is yoga and what is not yoga. So my understanding of yoga is uh, the understanding of the word union. So yoga to yoke body and mind through the vehicle of the breath. That is mm -hmm. my understanding of the original yoga, Hatha yoga. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so Hatha yoga, some people has, have the idea these days that, oh, that's the soft yoga. That's mm. the yoga that's there for older people. That's very gentle and you don't really do much. So let's just clear up that myth. Hatha yoga is the original yoga. It is the source of all yoga. All yoga, acro yoga, butt yoga, core <laughs> yoga, power yoga, kundalini yoga, all comes from hatha yoga. And hatha yoga is uh, an understanding that the breath precedes movement. If the breath is not in mm. the doing of asana, which is actually just one lineage, one small branch of yoga, then it's not yoga. So if mm. you're not moving with the breath, you're probably not doing yoga. You're, you're probably doing some form of poor gymnastics or some maybe fitness that might feel good, but it might be under the, the, the uh, banner of yoga. It is mm. not yoga. If the breath is not mentioned in a class, you are not doing yoga. Simple as that. So that to me is yoga because if you're anchoring the breath between the body and the mind, and the idea of yoga is to in, come inside, to understand you firstly in your physical being, and then through the energetic layers of who you are. Because mm. the practice of asana, the, the movements that we do within a yoga class, are only the beginning of the journey of yoga. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the yoga beginning of the journey of yoga was to look at this idea to really get to know you as a being and to get to know you inside the monkey mind inside the chatter and in order to prepare the body the yogis of centuries ago would have done this physical practice that we now deem as yoga this is one tiny aspect of it in order to sit for a long time in meditation to get to know who you really are. And then maybe, maybe there might be a glimpse of enlightenment. That's what originally the yogis used asana for. So now we're dealing with yoga as a form of fitness and a form of body shaping and a form of strength and flexibility. And as I mentioned before, an idea of um, extreme stretching and extreme um, posturing to show up on Instagram, look what I can do, mm. which is completely not yoga. And this so is, why... In, in your opinion, then, why did we get stuck in asana? Because meditation is a huge thing these days. Meditation is a, you know, we have apps like Headspace and Calm and these sorts of things. And those are big business. And yoga is big business. Mm. So you would think that the obvious thing is that we would understand perfectly how yoga becomes that union and that the asana would be started with practice and then you'd sit in meditation, which is also hugely popular. Why have we cleaved the two apart? What do you think happened there? I think because uh, when, when I became a yoga teacher uh, in 2000, yeah, 2000, um, people like Madonna were getting into Ashtanga and she was doing these extreme, you know, I went to see her in uh, Slane and she came on in, in Sirsasana, headstand, singing. Now, 
sorry, Madge, but you faked that because there is no way you can vocalize in Sursasana with uh, a vocalization that she was doing. So she was giving us the false opinion that this idea of yoga is going to give you this superhuman strength. She made mm -hmm. a movie about it. And then people like Jerry Hollowell from the Spice Girls, she also got into it. And quite a few stars like Sting got into it. And so they were all looking fabulous. And people were like, wow, wow, you can get a body like that doing yoga. So it was almost like a new form of aerobics that you can get flexible and strong and enlightened within the 90 minute class. Awesome. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> okay makes sense okay yeah that's funny isn't it and you know it comes back to that same thing though isn't it i think that one of the reasons that asana has become the kind of poster child for yoga in a way is because it's like the quick fix part it's mm. the pill that you take to get no one wants to do the like sit for ages like connect into yourself notice they just want to go cool i go to the yoga class I'm on my way to self-discovery. Yeah. It's basically like I don't need therapy yeah. either. I can just like shoehorn it all into this really easy and ultimately yeah. just yang practice. So, you know, what I see yeah. a lot is that we're living now almost entirely in yang. Like when we're walking through our day, right. we're just like, go, 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 do, 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 fast as we can, very little being. And then when we come to yoga, people come to yoga yeah. to relax and they've been told de-stress, relax, chill out, come to yoga. But then what they want in their yoga practice is more yang because that's comfortable. They've just come from that. They're, they're like, cool, yeah. and now we move really fast yeah. and da, 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 then go off and we go out. And if you as the teacher go, well, here's the balance. Here's what I want us to do is rein it back in and slow it down and connect. That's really uncomfortable mm -hmm. for a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know? And so what's yeah. become popular is the aerobic style version of fitnessy things and that feels comfy for us we just don't like the dissonance that happens with the the slowing down and the chilling out and that feeling I think yeah I often say that thing to you though as well which I I, I don't know whether we fully understood and I'd like to ask you maybe about that Tanya as well your opinion that my my instinct around this is that people come to ashtanga practices or come to like strong asana practices because they're living so far outside their bodies that the only way they can get their nervous system to come close to being to living inside their bodies again is to do that really hard stuff that makes them pant that makes their lungs kind of go like oh now I can feel it because I'm actually like everything's happening in a big way and then they're like okay I'm actually in my body now and, and to to ask those people to come to a tuned quiet centered version of embodiment is maybe like beyond their I don't know lifetime's ability in the fact that they're going to be doing one or two of these classes a week you know if, if they're not going to make it part of their daily discipline where they're you know sitting on a mat for 60 minutes or even sitting in meditation for 20 minutes a day they're never going to or it's it's almost it's unfair to expect them to to resonate with that idea of peace and centered solitude within the middle of their crazy day yeah you know i have a being a somatic educator, um, somatic means uh, the first person experience. So when I ask people, how do you feel? Uh, the two words I actually ask them not to say in Ireland is grand and in the UK, fine. So you can't say those because it doesn't mean anything. Um, so I ask people when I, when I uh, are really inquiring, how does that feel? Oh, it's okay. Well, what does okay mean to you? Does that mean 
I'm in discomfort, I'm in chronic pain, and I don't know anything else. I'm in so much pain, I'm choking back the tears. So we need to really, as a society, start boiling down to these questions of, is that right for you right now? And so if the way that classes are being thought for what the uh, opinion, the general opinion, yes, yes, people want to work out. Yes, yes, people want to get strong. Does that mean that's right? Now, where I see right now is putting your foot around your head or sitting in full lotus or coming up into a full handstand is irrelevant, okay? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Stress and anxiety, worry and um, extreme uh, physiological problems being developed because of this, because this being the norm. Coming in and doing more of that and exacerbating that feeling, even though you think that it's a passive, not passive, but it's a more relaxing class that I'm getting into my body, is only feeding the monkey. Mm. And so if you keep feeding that part of the nervous system, which is the doing, the doing, the, the doing, physiologically what happens is the chemical, chemical balance in your body, i.e. the hormones, begin to get used to adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, your heart rates start speeding up. And with all of the stuff that you're seeing and that you're hearing in today's, this isn't going away. And so you're able to cope less. And if your yoga isn't balancing that, where are you finding the balance? Because mm. it's not in the media. It's not with your family and friends. So if your personal practice is not bringing you into a balance, why do you think you're stressed out of you being the collective you? Why are people not able to actually self-regulate and self-balance? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. It is that self-regulation, isn't it? Because it's, that's the thing that's missing. Also, it's being we're being asked to relieve ourselves of the responsibility for that in, in the way modern society works, that kind of nanny stating of all of the elements of our health and our giving up our control. And so it sort of does make sense, doesn't it? That then you have this kind of like, okay, well, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I guess, yeah, that's, you're, 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 you're right. That's why yoga, of course, has a responsibility, which yes. is, I guess, the point you're getting to, to, to not just follow the monkey down exactly. the rabbit hole monkey down rabbit yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I do think I, I remember when I was in Tulum what, about seven years ago and I had an amazing kundalini teacher and she had grown up in an Indian yoga school like she went to school in a yoga school as a kid um, so she was like really authentically teaching yoga um, and I remember her saying to me at one stage you know our responsibility as yoga teachers isn't to teach what they want it's to teach what they need and that might make you really unpopular in the beginning, or it might make them really angry at you or frustrated in the class or any of these things. But that's actually our job there is to go like, yes, change is uncomfortable. Yes, this is how it feels. And, and now what? And now how do we take the skills? Like for me in my class, I'm constantly saying this thing and people just, I'm sure they just think it's so boring and annoying. But for me, it's like the yoga class is the opportunity to notice how do we respond to challenge and then to begin to change how we respond to challenge on and off the mat so that it serves right. us better. And, and, and our asana and our, the challenging asana, which doesn't need to be anything like a handstand, it can be warrior too, can be really challenging, is just like be in that asana and notice like, where am I holding tension? 
what do I do when I feel challenged? What's happening with my breath? What's happening with my jaw? All of these mm. points. Because when you're then at your desk and an email comes in that you can't respond to or that's challenging you in some way, those same things are going to be happening. And we need to be giving people the tools themselves so they themselves mm. have this stuff at their fingertips to be able to treat themselves going forwards that they need to not look outside themselves to come to a teacher or class or whoever, but they can go, ah, this is how it is. This is me. This is that moment. This is what I can do now. Mm. Correct. Mm. So it is this idea of allowing somatic inquiry to come up within a yoga practice, which my understanding of yoga is, is yoga that you're allowing the, the body to inform the mind and the mind to begin to understand, Oh yeah, I notice I'm doing that. And then, as you said, bringing yoga off the mat into your daily life when you're being challenged. Oh, I'm holding my breath. I'm about to react to that person. What would happen if I actually just came to an exhale mm -hmm. and the allowance of maybe some other conversation could start and that could start healing uh, a rift or could start opening up another conversation, bringing yoga into your life that's to me a yoga practice because coming to practice 90 minutes or an hour uh whatever three times a week or once a week or daily what are you doing it for like what is actually your practice for because i've never been in a class where at the end of the class a basket of yoga medals comes out and everybody gets <laughs> never seen it you know in 22 years i've never ever seen it and so what are you doing when you're trying to get to full uh, full wheel or full splits like what's the idea and the mm -hmm. idea to me is with these challenging poses not about how many followers you're going to get if you get your shiny purple leggings on and practice full splits but what would it be for the journey that took you there hanamasana the the monkey who is the vehicle for shiva uh, who is the the god of of, of destroying and death you have to you have to go through a process to destroy to create again and so if we're in this process of how am i dealing with this pandemic how am i dealing with my family and my friends how can i use this vehicle of getting into these challenges to help me move through this with the greatest ease and grace that could be your goal for getting into the splits, learning step by step. And it doesn't matter where you, whether you get into them, but it's your actual learning on the way. That's yeah. a, a beautiful way of looking at, at yoga and like asana challenges, what they're doing and what they're teaching you to bring them into greater good of how you're living. Yeah, yeah. brilliant, really well put. So if you're, if you're one teacher at the top of a room and you have like, I don't know, maybe 12, maybe 15, maybe 20 students, and you want them all to understand their own journey of coming towards that, but you're also having to demonstrate what this movement is so that they're following you. How do you teach your teachers to teach their students to be able to account for the different abilities and the different stages of the journey? Surely yoga then only exists almost on a one-to-one -one basis. Like how can you have more than one person in front of you who can actually guide? Uh, it's a very interesting topic and look yoga was originally passed from teacher to student so okay. the student 
would sit in front of guru and in India, that's what the teachers are, are uh, represented as. I have a little bit of a difficulty with that term, given that what we've seen in the yoga world for people handing over their sovereignty to so-called gurus and, and what that means, but that's a, another subject. I think uh, as a teacher, I have learned many, many different movement modalities. Uh, uh, as, as Lydia has mentioned, I'm a, a biomechanics instructor, which means I understand joint body uh, mobility. Um, I work with joints. I work with, uh, I'm a muscular skeletal specialist. I'm an anatomist. I have done cadavers. I know that they don't move, but I understand uh, the, the body systems from, from carving you know, carving ex living people open and, and looking on the inside. And, and what uh, my understanding now is that one size fits all and um, turn your foot in and turn your foot out is, is absolute rubbish. Makes, mm -hmm. it, it makes zero sense because that is for one shape of pelvis. Now, uh, so as a male and as a female, we have completely different shaped pelvises. Lydia and I would have completely different shaped pelvises. I've never mm. uh, given birth. So my mm. pelvic canal will be completely different. Um, east and West have completely different shaped pelvises. Uh, north mm. and South have completely different shaped pelvises. And because also one of the most important things is, what does that pelvis do for 18 hours a day? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, most of that question is it sits and it tucks under. And so this brings me to another topic of the lost art of preparation. It oh, seems yeah. uh, asana practice means that there is a license to not prepare the body. Yeah. So particularly in Bali, vinyasa is one of the favored uh, forms of yoga and there are two little things called wrists and they're very very small and they have a complex set of bones now wrists also do things like help fingers to type and when fingers are typing on keyboards and shoulder girdles are hunched over those keyboards and we spend most of our time in yoga in vinyasa inflection that to me doesn't make any sense because you're you're using more flexion and more flexion and more flexion and preparing mm. the body with zero extension. So coming to an upright idea of Tadasana is still in flexion and nobody mm. is preparing the wrist. I've seen nobody preparing the wrist in a vinyasa class. Nobody's preparing the spine for tons of flexion. Uh, there seems to be a lack of interest of how actually a, a skeletal system needs to be talked about in terms of the hours that we're spending in flexion. Mm. So if I could, I would reverse Surya Namaskara and for every forward bend, I'd put a back bend into it. Because okay. one cobra or one up dog is not gonna make a blind bit of difference to combat the 18 hours of flexion we spend in our daily mm -hmm. life. It's gonna make zero interests. So I would really love to see Surya Namaskar change to lateral and rotational movements to prepare the spine 
for more flexion, but I actually think we need a lot less flexion and way more extension, extension that includes all the bones of the spine and not just back bending excessively from your lumbar, which is a very popular thing in Instagram. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I think I think Finn is probably like extremely bored of me sending him pictures of people doing yoga poses on Instagram going, what are they doing to their lumbar spine? And then it's like 700,000 likes on the picture. And I'm like, why is no one saying anything about this thing? I'm so worried about them. Because I think a lot of the people who are doing these end range of motion gymnastic type things, they're in their twenties. And like you said, I've had a baby, I'm nearly 40 now. I know how different my body is now. And I know the wear and tear that happened in my twenties. And I was not, as you know, I was never a really flexible person, but I still know the things that I was doing wrong in my twenties catch up at the end of your thirties. And certainly when you're pregnant, that's all exacerbated when all the relaxing hormone comes in and all the ligaments get really soft. And I'm looking at these really bendy, flexible people doing end range of motion stuff and thinking, what happens when they get pregnant and all that relaxing comes in? I know what happens in my pregnancy classes is just pelvic synthesis disorder, just constant pubic synthesis pain, constant malalignment in the pelvis and, and ultimately like pelvic braces and problems walking. And that's just like a tiny microcosm of what you're seeing happening. And I think like to come back to before we talked about, we talked about the idea that there's this word that keeps being coming up in terms of like yoga teachers need to be more inclusive. They just need to make their classes more inclusive. And, but no one's talking about like, how does that actually mean other than in terms of advertising that it's okay for everyone with every type of body to come to your class in terms of the actual class and our understanding as a teacher, how can we learn to be inclusive? And my understanding of seeing the 200 hour teacher trainings that are out there is that there's very little instruction given for how do you teach all the different types of body. Mm. I, I feel that, that actually needs to be a, because the 200 hour, I understand having written 200 hours, it's a, it's a tricky thing to put in. What I would like to see um, yoga for everybody and an actual course in anatomy and the anatomy of all shapes of bodies and ranges of movement because where I have seen my own body, so I'm an ex-gymnast and I was picked out as the show pony of, of you know, these, uh, I will name it because Iyengar was one of the types of yoga that I followed for a long, long time. And the top Iyengar teachers would pick me out and say, okay, can you, can you literally perform this pose? Now, did it feel good? They didn't care because I could do it because mm -hmm. I was super flexible. The lucky thing for me is I've understood mobility versus flexibility. And mm. this is a, a topic that's burning hot at the moment. So mobility is how do all of your joints open and close towards end range equally? That's being mobile, two sides of the coin. That means that you can center. If I can go over here and come back and go over here and come back, great. I'm mobile and I'm mobile through 33 joints of the spine. I've got healthy mobility through my shoulder girdle, through my wrists, through my hips, through my knees, because I'm centered. Mm. Hypermobility 
is not understanding what centered means. It's going into end range. It's going into pushing into the end ranges of your joints. And what that means is the nerve endings, which tell your brain what's safe, get delayed. So they don't fire and say, this is enough until you're not stretching muscle anymore. You're stretching ligaments. Mm. Now, if you understand the uh, importance of ligaments, ligaments are like um, guide ropes of a sail. And a sail is your, are your bones and the ligaments hold and tether the, the bones to each other. So if the ligaments get overstretched, the slack basically becomes greater and greater and your bones become destabilized. Now, hypermobility as a clinician, as a movement educator, is one of the most difficult things that you can fix. It takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of dedication from the client and it causes a lot of pain later on, particularly the sacroiliac joint, which is one of the biggest problems for women in yoga. And when they go to have children, oh, uh, it's just Armageddon because of the, of the laxidity that's there. In the sacroiliac joint, it has the most ligaments in the body. And if ligaments are for stability, stretching your sacroiliac joint is one of the worst things you can do verbatim for your entire body because mm. you have immense amount of problems in later life. And these extreme end ranges do just that. There's nothing stable about them. And they, they kind of bringing this together is when uh, Patanjali, who was the, the yoga sage uh, that wrote down the beginning of, of yoga and uh, beginning of all the branches of yoga, he wrote down only four uh, little passages to do with asana. And one of those passages is stiram sukam asam. And the translation of that is steadfast, ease, and uh, steadfast ease and, and kind of protection. So that stiram sukam asam does not mean to end range. It, it means like moving like a bamboo, that you're steady, but you're flexible. And going to end range, most people are struggling at end range and generally cannot breathe. Mm. And so if Thiram Sukam Asam is not being understood to this is not what asana is about, then what are we practicing? We're just mm. practicing poor gymnastics that are that is destabilizing to our body. And that's not the idea of, of asana of what my understanding of what it should be. Mm. And so when you're when we're in, in yoga class and you understand hip opening or shoulder opening exercises, what's the like, how can a body like a person like, let's say a student in that yoga class understand when they reach end range mode, let's say they're not hypermobile, but they like, how can they know when it's too much? And how can they like if, if some if a teacher is, you know, within a class encouraging you to you know specifically like say point your feet there and there or whatever and and you're like okay i mean i can do it like most people can do it but they're kind of maybe pushing themselves into it like in, in those more let's say more basic it's not the word but the, those sorts of postures well, like what can what can people what can you tell people that will allow them to understand where to go within their motion the range of motion okay it's a great question so um there um 
there is a an idea uh, that this wonderful teacher uh, from LA called Eric Sch uh, called playing your edge. And so it's this idea of how far is too much and how far is not enough. And where are you feeling this? So if if the, the spine is the primary mover and your shoulder girdles and your hips are secondary movers, so your arms and your legs are secondary movers, what is your spine doing in relation to your shoulders? Or you could ask it the other way around. What are your shoulders doing in relation? So if you're feeling that um, opening your shoulders, well, your shoulders basically are, are three different departments. You've got your shoulder girdle, you've got your collarbones, and then you've got your shoulder blades. And they're attached to your rib cage. So if we talk about um, can you lift your rib cage and draw your shoulder blades gently down. If you cannot do that, then what does it mean to open your shoulders? Like we've got to get very, very specific in mm. our idea of if back bending is about opening your shoulders, what exactly are you talking about? So if back bending can be perceived as hinging from your lumbar spine, you're not doing anything with your shoulders. You're mm. just pressing into your lower back but if you're talking about opening up your shoulders can we lift up the breastbone and breathe easily can we draw the shoulder blades down and back and so basically by saying opening your chest you're extending the middle part of your back which is your thoracic spine which is the thing you want to do in a back bend because mm. it's taking out a flexion now yeah. most people have too much flexion in this area because of mobile bike technology and uh, desk jobbing and so this idea of opening up your chest is can you gently come up to what i'm calling neutral and then learn what extension is an extension will be drawing those shoulder blades down and in and then can we have an even back bend through the spine and being able to breathe at the same time. So an idea of, can you do all of these things while breathing? It's a very, very challenging thing for most people. Once you get there, now we can talk about deeper backbends, if mm. that is your goal. But if you're, you, you have to kind of ask, what is the goal here? To be able to be stronger, more, uh, uh, better aligned, feeling good, flexible, or do I want to join Cirque du Soleil? Yeah. yeah. Now, if you want to join Cirque du Soleil, I would suggest go to a gymnastic class because that's probably what you need to do. Going to a yoga class and expecting to do advanced stuff in the space of a year, maybe not the greatest idea of the world, but to have a very strong body to have a very flexible body and combat life's daily stresses both physically and mentally might be a great starter for a yoga class and if your yoga class is not giving you that maybe try another one until you yeah. find a teacher that actually is giving you these things in equal doses yeah. and, and being the the number one i guess it sorry i guess it kind of makes sense this end point because what you're talking about is like for people 
like you're requiring people to have this ability to reflect on what their goals are without having an endpoint relationship to those goals, which is really difficult, right? Like that's why the world is kind of so broken at the moment because we're all like looking at the endpoint that we never get to. And so if you if you show them handstand, full handstand, you show them full wheel, those sorts of things, those things, okay, well, that's something I can actually work towards as opposed to working towards like, I'd like to be more mobile. Like that doesn't look like a thing to most people. It's easy for them to see an image of something that looks extreme and then for them to go, I'm going to work to that thing. And then it like, yeah, to, to like the best, best therapists I've been to, best like physical therapists I've been to have always kind of when I've gone into them first said like, what do you want to be able to do? Like, what, what do you like? What do you like? Are you training for a triathlon or are you just like, do you play Tuesday night football or do you just like wake up with pains in your hips or like, what's the thing that you want to like fix or what's the actual, and often I'll have like initial, you know, presenting problems. But I often like in both of the times that I've been asked that I'm like, I'm actually quite challenged, but I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do. But if they showed me like somebody on the top level of an Olympic stand with a gold medal for having run the hundred meters for the past, I go, yeah, that, that I'll do, I'll do that, please. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing, isn't it? And I think that's the challenge is that what I see happening a lot. And certainly when I was teacher training, often people come to yoga to be a yoga teacher because they think they're good at yoga. You know, they're not like, hey, I'm, re I'm really a teacher at their heart. Like for me, I've always taught in various different capacities, whether it's yoga or different things. It's the teaching that really excites me. I love that. Um, but I was never like good at yoga. I wasn't able to do the really tricky asana. Whereas a lot of people come because they went to a yoga class and they're like, hey, I can do everything. I can do everything that that person's doing really easily. Okay, I can be a yoga teacher. And the problem is then is if you're in one of those bodies where it's super easy to go into all those places and you can sit in wide-legged forward fold and touch the ground, it's very, very hard to rein that back to understand that like 85% of the people in your class, when they're sitting in wide-legged forward fold like me, their forward fold is like that. It's like one centimeter forwards, you know? And I think if that's not addressed in the... If in teacher trainings, if that really isn't like held and understood and talked about enough, then it's really scary. Like what I hear people doing is going out, finishing their 200 hour, going to teacher class and just being like, half the people couldn't sit cross-legged. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. Like, well, how can't they sit cross-legged? And like really shocked at that. And then also with no understanding of well, what might it feel like to not be able to sit cross-legged and what needs to happen in order to help someone who isn't able to sit cross-legged. I think that's down to uh, egotistical uh, practice. I think that's mm -hmm. the bottom line with that, because I know when I did my teacher training, I, I trained with Yoga Therapy Ireland and um, they were, I was by far the most flexible. I was one of the youngest and I was one of the most flexible and I could do everything. Did that mean that I went into my classes expecting that? No, because I looked around me and I saw women who are training with me who couldn't do shoulder stands and couldn't do headstands. Did that mean that they were lesser yoga teachers? No, they were amazing yoga teachers because they were coming from a place of um, non-violence. They were coming from a place of compassion. They were coming from a place of, I all I want to do is help people move better. And that's where you know, I, I broke my bread. Then I went off into Iyengar classes and I'm not bashing Iyengar. I think Iyengar thought there are some amazing teachers that I learned from. Um, and um, I feel that is the real understanding 
that it comes back. I keep saying this yoga is for everybody. And if, if a yoga teacher doesn't understand that, then I don't really think that they should be teaching yoga mm. because they're, they're teaching, look at me. And, and to me, that is just uh, uh, not yoga. Yeah. yeah so, um, so talk to me then about a, 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 what is it? A what? Sorry. I, I think that's a big, big problem that, that, that if people don't understand that yoga is for everybody and they don't understand how to teach, they just shouldn't be teaching full stop mm -hmm. because it's, it's not inclusive. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think if they don't understand how to, to teach this, there are tons of anatomy courses online. There are tons of courses about an adjustment. Like one of my points that I thought about today when I was thinking about this topic was this. In your general 200-hour teacher training, eight to 10 hours is given to anatomy and philosophy. Now, if you went to a physiotherapist and you allowed them to adjust you with eight to 10 hours anatomy understanding, you probably would be kind of stupid. Mm. If you allow a teacher to adjust you with that little knowledge of everybody being different, well then, but yet, no, I don't see anybody in a yoga class. I see very, very little people in yoga class saying, no, thank you. Don't put your hands on me. I don't let anybody put their hands on me because I know, I'm, and I'm not being big headed here. I've done years and years of training. I understand a fair amount about the human body. And I have, you know, somebody who's much, much younger than me. I'm like, no, thank you. Because I don't really, I don't know you. And I don't think it's appropriate for you to say to me, you know my, my body more. So please, those of you who are listening, say no, just say no. <laughs> I think it's really dangerous. Yeah, and there's a whole consent relationship there, which is a whole other podcast as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a whole <laughs> consent problem there, that they mm -hmm. don't know what they're touching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think I think what we haven't talked about at all, and and I was thinking about this a lot as you were talking about the back bends, is the the link between the emotions and yoga, and you know people who walk into our class, yes, they're walking into our classes with a range of physical stuff that we don't know about. And that often they aren't comfortable in fairness sharing with us. Like even if you ask them to tell you at the beginning, if you've got any stuff in your body that I might need to know about so I can adjust poses for you. Most people don't actually tell you the stuff and they sometimes come up to you after the class and say, oh, that was really good. I had a recent back surgery. And you're like, what? <laughs> Why would you have not told me that beforehand? You know, and so, you know, that's the thing that you have to I've take into that. account too, is that like personal responsibility. People don't necessarily feel comfortable to share their stuff with someone that they've just met and they don't know. So as a teacher, you have to also take into account that you're not hearing half the things in the beginning. But you also don't know where they've walked in from. Have they just had an argument with their partner? Have they had a miscarriage recently? Have, are they dealing with some kind of really big trauma in there? And when we do yoga poses, we release or we hold space or create space for these emotions to be released oftentimes. And if we are doing a practice that doesn't have enough space or pause or introspection or reflection time at these emotions can just like erupt out and then that person isn't prepared at all for that emotion it's not a safe space for them to let go of that and back then especially I know from working with kids with additional needs 
a tiny, 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 tiny backbend that isn't even a backbend, just a, a gentle opening of a shoulder on a cushion can release a whole load of trauma, like a lot of stuff that's held and protection things from feeling like this all day long. And you have to be ready to deal with the outpouring that's going to come there and to be feeling like, OK, I'm capable to hold the space for this that's coming now. And so when we are doing these kind of extremely gymnastic vinyasa, very, very fast flow practices, you don't know how that person's going to be feeling when they're lying in shavasana or when they walk out of your room and you're not there to witness it or to hold space for it. And I think that there has to be, that has to be taken into account in some way when you're planning your classes and when you're teaching your classes that we have this room full of all these emotional bodies as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, I get the feeling that that comes with a lot of workshops. I've seen that happen more so in workshop style, that it's three hours, four hours, mm -hmm. and, and I've seen that a lot. In the classes that um, I've had people break down in, literally break down in, it's, um, I, I kind of, if I'm teaching um, a lot of hip openers, I will uh, come out with um a uh, parental guidance alert. <laughs> so, <laughs> guidance alert. Beware. Get your kids out. Um, that it is a look. We have different energetic states, and when we go into long holds, and long holds can start allowing space for rumination and allowing time for introspection. Uh, that that can start bubbling up if this isn't. Uh, being shared in the class with students, um, this can be a hotspot for things. And look, at the bottom line is yoga teachers are not psychologists. Um, and when there is a, a situation of a, 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 a emotional outburst, it's very, very important that you do not ignore the situation that you have the wherewithal to go and put your hand and say it's okay we're all human it happens uh, to be compassionate to mm. understand what's going on for that person they mightn't tell you but just let them say it's okay and maybe just say look do you want to go for a cup of tea or is there anything I can, you know, do you just want an ear to listen? Not to mm. say you can fix, but just an, a kind word and an acknowledgement that this happens and, and people don't, you know, the other students not to get weirded out. That the, the fact that the person is, is expressing themselves in your class almost is a great honor. Do you know yeah. that they feel safe enough to be able to, and, 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 in a new in a new student situation, it can be very embarrassing for them that the projectile tears just start, but not to make a big deal out of it if you're a new teacher, just to say, you know, everybody has emotions and these uh, asanas that can bring up emotion and that everybody is okay if everybody wants to share a laugh or a cry that this is the space that it's safe to do it in and that not to be a therapist afterwards and try and solve the person's problem but maybe just to, to hear them and that's okay yeah. but i found it happens in workshops uh, a lot because the vinyasa classes that i see unfortunately it's just not giving time for uh, that i've seen for people to have these 
emotional experiences and, and go deeper. Yin classes, I, I've definitely seen it. Um, but yeah, vinyasa classes, unfortunately, a little bit too fast. So talk to us about that a little bit, because before we came on, Lydia and myself were discussing uh, what a yoga class should look like. And that asana is the way into the yoga, you know, paradigm, the yoga, the yoga, the yoga process. So if we're, and, and I mean, we, we definitely want to enhance and improve people's, you know, opportunities to enter spaces where they feel that their emotions are okay to be felt. And I guess this is one of the ways that we find our, our mind connecting with our body and that those moments, that's when we get those kind of larger emotions coming up and we start to process stuff that whatever's come up in the day or come up in our whatever past lives. But like, can you talk to us a little bit what you think like a yoga class should look at in order to be able to, to cater for the type of healing that yoga should be able to bring to a human? Um, my ideal yoga class would be um, starting a class with the word, how is everybody feeling today? Pause for quite a while, pause, and that it is not me about to start going off in a, a dyad of what you know we should be feeling or how is everybody feeling today? And so as a group collective that we're joined here to really go into our bodies to inquire well let's start with the gross outer layer how does our body feel what does it need maybe I feel sluggish maybe I'd like so I as the student maybe you would like a faster based practice that feels a little bit more dynamic or maybe that's not appropriate that you're very tired and you need to honor that if that is the choice please have an invitation for child's pose or mini, not, I'm not really saying mini shavasanas, but just a pose that is comfortable for your body. Um, maybe you don't know. So maybe everybody will do a check-in. So I always start a yoga class with a check-in and a check-in would be, is there discrepancies between the front of the body, the back of the body? Do I have more tension? Right and left, how does that feel? tuning into my breathing then the yoke of mind and body is it higher in my body is it lower in my belly is it dropping into my pelvic floor is it up in my chest is it more to the front is it more to the back so because the the lungs are three-dimensional can we encourage the lungs to have a more of a uh uh, an understanding of the back body breathing and then how does that influence the shoulders so there would be a big inquiry for five minutes into how am I breathing today and then another five minutes of we're going to do some wrist work so we better start looking at the wrist we better start looking at the elbows the shoulders the spine so there might be a preparation already that's 15 minutes and I haven't even started asana that would be my and this is not for you know people who have arthritis this is for everybody because everybody is on mobile technology and so if you're going to spend the majority of class using these two shapes you better make sure 
that you have an ability to stand on your hands and have equal distribution from this side of the hand to this side of the hand, because you're going to get impingement if your chaturanga is not based throughout the whole of the hand. You now have a shoulder that's turning in. You now mm -hmm. have neck problems. You now have the potentiality to start creating jaw problems from one pose. And I have never seen a group of class ever doing a Shadaranga properly, ever, once. I don't wow. care who they are, whether they're Ashtangis, Vinyasis, um, Iyengar, Hatha. I have never seen one class with everybody doing what I think is a healthy Shadaranga. And the Shadaranga, for those of you who don't know, is that low press up that comes down. So there, it takes a lot of understanding of good shoulder girdle alignment to be able to do correct Shadaranga and hold it and go into a push through. So might do a class up, let's look at how to actually enter that. Instead of presuming that everybody knows Suri Namaskara A, Suri Namaskara B, and can do it all the same to ability. So mm -hmm. that would be a, a conversation of, we're going to be looking at the hands, the elbows and the shoulders today, and what's a good ability range. If you can't do this, do this. If you can do this, progress into this. And then if you can do that, let's go into this. Mm -hmm. Then I would be bringing it up into spending quite a lot of time into twisting, because we don't twist, into side bending, because we don't side bend, and then building it up into uh, some uh, extension, and then looking at inversion of, is that right for the body shapes that are in front of me? Because inverting your entire weight in a inflexible and a lack of strength is an absolute no. It's just no, because you're going to get problems in your neck and your neck is pretty important. Sorry, it's so, yeah, I mean, I, I really 100% agree with all the things you're saying. And it's kind of interesting because like working one-to-one -to -one with clients is such a different experience than working in a group setting. And with your one-to-one -one clients, you can really have that out loud conversation about how are you feeling and they will feel comfortable to tell you then. But really, like mm. I started, especially during the pandemic, starting exactly how you're saying with getting people to sit and really ask themselves, how are you doing? And it's so interesting that afterwards, like in the beginning, I'm like, hey, how are we? Because Zoom call. Hey, everyone, how are you doing? Oh, great. Oh, I'm great. And then you sit down yeah. into the thing. And then afterwards, they were like, pretty tired actually yeah I didn't realize I was so tired you know and even for even not even for me but for me as well even though I might teach four classes a day and I'm getting an opportunity to sit four times in the day I might be approaching a class thinking cool I've loads of energy for this class to teach this class today and only when I sit then and again in the beginning and check in with them I'm like oh no I'm actually really tired but you haven't realized because you don't have those inbuilt pauses in your day unless you are actively changing the schedule of your day to make sure that every hour or every two hours you stop and go am I actually breathing like mm. what's happened in my chest how am I sitting how is my mind working and it, you know really for me that one of the things I really want people to take away from yoga is to move into their day and constantly bring that self-inquiry back in so that that nervous system isn't being allowed unchecked into just constant adrenaline fight or flight for hours at a time but there's this self um accountability you know that we have this opportunity to go here's my understanding of the nervous systems and yes as yoga teachers we might not be like 
all as trained as you in terms of anatomy and understanding of physiology, but we should have an understanding, a basic understanding of the nervous system and how our asana, our breathing practice, our shavasana and our life is affecting those things so that we can give that knowledge to our students and they can go out and go, what does it mean when I breathe high in my chest? What does it mean when I'm breathing low in my belly? And understand that. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's, it is really base level. And I, I sense that more, and I think more and more people are coming to yoga to try and get an answer because more and more people are coming to meditation to try and get an answer because we're, we're you know, I use this quote a lot when I teach somatics uh, from uh, James Joyce, the Dubliners. Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> it's so true. That's what we all are just walking around, using our bodies to carry our heads. Our heads are forwards and we are literally processing massive amounts of information, but it stops here. And then we wonder why we get a diagnose of your high blood pressure or you've got the big C or you have uh, uh, carotid arteries, uh, you know, oh, really, I don't eat a lot of meat. Oh, well, guess what? You're stressed out of your mind. Mm. You know, wh why are we getting these? Why are, we, why are we getting sicker, but yet we have more advances in the medical world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the big disagreement, isn't it? It's fascinating. Like, I'm relying on science as this savior sort of situation which is again another cerebral science is all up here science is unfortunately not the body science of the body maybe understanding yeah. anatomy maybe but not living the thing and it's like the walking in the shoes to understand all that sort of crap isn't it and it's also abdicating your responsibility to someone else yeah. again it's mm -hmm. the same thing like we as yoga teachers aren't meant to be knowing what's going on inside the 30 different bodies that are in front of us what we can do is hold the space and teach them to learn themselves what's going inside their bodies so they can be responsible for making those choices and it's not a guru situation where we're making those choices for them mm. and i think that's that's the problem is that it started to become this thing where they come to you class and they're like oh what do you do okay you're doing that you're saying that so i should do that and it doesn't matter if you're not creating an environment that is allowing for that it doesn't matter if you say here's the version i'm doing you can do this version no one's going to do this version yeah. like well one percent of the people are going to do that version most people are going to go well hang on i'm going to try for what i'm going to try for what that person is doing you know so like i make it a purpose to never ever demonstrate the thing that's like the most and no, i can usually can't even do it myself anyway but like i will never demonstrate that because i just know you see whatever i'm doing they're all going to do it and if you give them permission by sharing your experience of your body in the moment like hey today my hamstrings are really tight because i did xyz thing yesterday so for me I'm doing my downward dog with bent knees today or whatever the thing is and people are like oh hang on I actually can choose mm. like I have the right to like author my experience within this yoga class and that's what we need more of is like the authorship piece yeah. where people yeah. understand it's not like a lesser or a cop-out or like a not trying lazy way yeah. to take child's pose but yeah. it's like just as valid as doing the handstand it's like if you imagine like a tour guide taking you around a city and rather than him showing you the thing and allowing you to have the experience it's like saying now close your eyes and i'll just describe all these things and you can go home and you'll have understood them perfectly yeah which is weird because you'd never do it well it's a it's a it's a uh, pedagogic model that is now just become the norm unfortunately of mm -hmm. of yogi see yogi do instead of yogi feel yogi do 
Mm. So that idea of how does that feel? If that feels like this, maybe try this. If that doesn't feel so good, maybe try this. And, and so understanding, having the base understanding of, of how to teach in more of a somatic format of saying to your clients, does that feel appropriate for your body? And if it doesn't, maybe there's this, this, and this. But that brings it down to the yoga teacher to care enough about their style of teaching to allow more learning to be onboarded so that they can start welcoming safely many different types of bodies and teaching them all at the same time. So for example, there is a yoga studio here. Uh, I won't name names, uh, generally 40 people, 40 to maybe 60, one teacher, no assistance. And I went to it and I was looking around and I'm like, this is like 21st apocalypse of yoga. There were, um, there were guys uh, that were 25 years younger than me. There were guys that were 25 years older than me. Women that were, you know, there must have been like 17 year olds. There were 70 year olds. Not one variation of anything. 60 people in a class and not one variation. And, you know, I was put through my paces and I thought that to me was exactly what modern day yoga has become. No mm -hmm. duty of care, no understanding of who is in that yoga class. And then to top it all off, the yoga teacher just did their practice at the top of the yoga shala yeah, yeah, and i was like oh my god oh my god like what is this about and you know i i walked away just horrified like i couldn't speak and and then i got really upset really angry and and i thought okay here's a lesson for you tanya what, what is it like so you have a choice and then at the same time my teacher who has nearly 50 years experience who has directly been trained under Krishmacharya, who's like the godfather of yoga, who taught yoga directly to Pachabi Joyce, directly to BKSI Anger. Um, and, and he's been taught directly. And, and, and his also philosophy is yoga is for everyone. He's 70, I don't know, 74, 75. And he is a beautiful practice. And it's not a difficult practice, but some of the stuff I don't actually agree with the way he teaches because he's not an anatomist. And I think, okay, you know, there could be improvement. So long as people are given options and say, do, can you breathe in this? Does it feel safe for you? But he has gazillions of experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind of urge any yoga teacher that's that's reading or uh, listening to this or watching this podcast, please start getting to know what it means to teach everybody. It's not just about age. It's not just about size or shape or race or creed or color. It's about the actual human body. Because if you're teaching movement, 
they are coming to you as the learned person at the top of the room. And mm. if you don't understand how to keep these people safe in your class, I don't think that's great to call yourself a teacher of movements. Yeah. Particularly yeah, I think that's not the best thing. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I think we could, it feels like, to me like this is like episode one <laughs> yeah, yeah, of true. conversations with Tanya. Mm. And then maybe there's like a lot of more episodes because yeah. there's so much more that I want to say. We haven't talked into the anatomy stuff. No, I want to talk about also about like things. Instagram and like yeah. the, the responsibility <laughs> of yogis on Instagram and business and the, the difference between yoga and the business of yoga. I mean, there's mm. so many topics that we could delve mm. into. But for now, I think this is probably yeah. a good place to... Yeah let people just sit and like digest that information and that it, because it can be really triggering and I know like you're learning you're constantly learning you're constantly looking back and go and falling into it like we're all humans right so us as teachers we're also just humans and we fall into those habits of saying a thing that maybe we've heard once or we found ourselves accidentally saying once and we haven't even thought it was great but then you suddenly find yourself for like two or three classes saying the same thing you're like I just said that thing again I mean I don't even think that's a true thing it's just a thing that's come out of my mouth and we have yeah. to edit you know we have to be responsible yeah. for our own edits and also be compassionate to ourselves and knowing like okay um, you know we all come out with stuff like the, the stuff I used to come out with was like oh god did I actually say that but just to acknowledge like everybody has to start somewhere like I, I'm sure you know people might be thinking oh it's all very well for her like she's got 22 years of experience mm -hmm. but I think that I always understood and this is I think the, the, the kind of last thing I want to uh, say I don't consider myself a teacher I consider myself somebody who has some information that wants to impart my information that I've learned from other teachers. And I'm a conduit of, of information because I'm interested enough in always learning because I, I don't really think I don't really know that much. And I, and I say this, people go, oh my God, you've got a wealth of knowledge. I'm like, well, I pit myself against other teachers and sit there and go, oh my God, I don't know anything. I'm so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Like I feel really dumb. And people are like, what? I'm like, of course, because there's always people that know way more than me. We all mm -hmm. have to start somewhere, but having the compassion and having the uh, encouragement of self-learning and, and putting it back to the student, how does it feel? Does that feel okay for you? and how can I help you feel better if you're coming from a place of compassion and wanting to help your students instead of more of an egotistical Instagrammable point of view that mm -hmm. I feel is the difference of what I'm talking about modern day yoga maybe has become oh I want to be like my teacher she can mm -hmm. do this or he can do that versus I just want to feel really good and I want my yeah. students to feel really good that's a different way of teaching and I think yeah. that might be the that summary of this conversation yeah, yeah. yeah you're absolutely right it's like distilling it down into as a teacher before you go into the class thinking about like what is my goal for what the students are going to feel when they walk away is it that I want them to think I'm brilliant and I'm the best teacher and that I'm the only teacher and they should only come to my classes because it's the best because I'm frightened they're going to go off there's so much saturation in the market now I get that mindset it's scary uh or do I want them to go Oh, I feel the best I've ever felt. <laughs> like I feel really good when I go to her class. And that's that's the difference in the shift in the way that you're going to approach the teaching, isn't it? It's, and yes. it's such a simple thing to have in your head. Of course we can come to to with that, but it's also just as easy to understand how we get caught into the Instagram thing and the business thing and the, on all the thing of being like, oh shit, 
the only way I'm going to get them is if I look the best and I wear the fanciest clothes and I'm the skinniest and I do the most extreme poses and then they're going to be like, oh, she's so she aspirational. Must she teacher. must be yeah. the best mm. teacher. And it's hard, you know, if that's our work and that's the work of yoga is not getting caught into that ego wheel as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, it's a difficult thing um, in terms of how um, marketing has put us on to, uh, to teaching. Like as a, as a somatic educator, um, we do all of our work on the floor and all of the work is internalized. So my Insta feed is um, a lot of kind of, wow, Tanya has a new hairdo because <laughs> I'm not doing any other shapes it's just kind of me saying quotes but I think what I what I try to come across on my insta feed is actually uh, offering questions about how does that feel Wh when you do a movement how does that feel where does it take you and how could it make you feel better or or thinking really about how you're moving that's the whole idea of somatics and yoga is a somatic practice it just is a little bit diverted into how do I look? And so that to me is where the actual problem is, is not how I feel, how do I look? Because I guarantee you, if you asked anybody that did an in a, a yoga shoot for Instagram and ask them how their body feels after that shoot, and they're honest with you, they will tell you, I feel like crap. My back is killing me. I can a hundred million mm -hmm. pounds i will tell you that will be the truth because yeah. of what they're doing to their spine yeah. it's and so true so a yoga photo shoots you're just you're in agony because you're not given time to warm up and then they just go like hey go do a headstand and you're like uh now <laughs> definitely not but then you know can you just move your shoulder a bit more to look prettier can you do so you're in, you're in a, an asana but you're not in any version of alignment you're just in what they're seeing visually this yeah. makes your arm look less fat this makes your belly look less fat and you're just like in this and come out of it you're like crocked like literally walking yeah. around and that's the problem is the misrepresentation yeah. of that thing because then we have this notion of oh to do it well it should look like this and like what you're saying is no 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 to do it well it should feel like this yeah. And, yeah. and just if we can if that's the takeaway from this is like, photograph yoga is not <laughs> yoga is not how we look but how we feel right? yeah that is it yeah. exactly yeah. Sanya, thank you so much this mm. has been so great and i really hope we can do a part two and maybe a part yeah. three yeah at great. some point it's a total passion of mine, like for, you know, 22 years of, of analyzing movement and, and teaching movement and sharing, you know, expression of movement. Uh, and, and I will continue. And I, and I just feel that the, the ship needs to come back a little bit. It, it's gone in a funny direction. And there's millions of teachers out there that are that are teaching beautifully. But I, I feel that there is a lot of people that would love to come to yoga that feel they can't. They can. They just have to find the teacher that's right for them. And that I hope that the people that are listening to this will get a better understanding of what yoga uh is supposed to be rather than should be i hate that word should but what yoga is supposed to be and start questioning maybe that it could be a lot more delicious than the current maybe kind of chipper yoga or fast food yoga that they're ingesting now yeah that's yeah. it exactly and so tanya um if people who are listening and they they kind of feel inspired to work with you how can they get in touch with you? How, what would that look like? 
Yeah, so you can uh, DM me on my Insta, Align Somatics, uh, and I'm also on Facebook, and then you can get me directly. So my webpage is alignsomatics.com. Pop onto that and uh, just send me an, uh, an email at info at alignsomatics.com, or you okay. can hit me up on, on uh, WhatsApp. My number is on the bottom of that. I, I, I teach all over the world because I teach in front of a screen. Um, I'm an educator that does not use hands-on. I use these and I use this. And uh, we, we share about what's going on in your body. And after 20, 22 years, like there's not a lot that gets past these eyes. Like, what's going on there? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, if you've got problems and you've been struggling for, for answers, a lot of the problem is uh, habit forming. And so mm -hmm. going to somebody else to fix your habit is not a great, you know, way of doing it. I teach you to understand why you're, you're, you're creating the habit. And then I show you new ways of getting out of the habit. So, uh, yeah, let me know. I'd love to help you. Great message. Yeah. Lovely. Thank, thank you. you so much. Even Brill uh, just leads us to thank our sponsors, uh, Clearlight Saunas, our favorite infrared sauna people. Um, come and talk to us about your sauna needs. Uh, I've got one in my back garden. I spent ages saving up for it and it's there and I love it and I use it all the time. And it's a great thing to have a bit of hot and a bit of cold in your life. And um, uh, also uh, New Zest, our protein partners, our nutrition partners, who produce one of the best, uh, what we think is the best, uh, vegan protein, sustainably grown, sustainably packaged. Um, we're doing lots more content with them, so look out for some of our reels and stuff coming up. Um, and that is about it. Other than that, I'll just say thank you so much, Tanya. It's been great to meet you. Oh my God, like you certainly lived up to all the hype. <laughs> so it's brilliant. Thank you so much, and I hope we talk to you very soon. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Tanya. Bye. Bye.